This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues that shape our lives with your guides, Dr. Matthew Jacoby and DJ Payne. Welcome to Thrive Perspectives. It's your host here, DJ Payne. With me, as always, is the wonderful Matt Jacoby. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Now, we've had such a gr- you know, great feedback from all over the place about last episode mm. with Bernie Power. Yeah, it was great. With, good with discussion. Great discussion. So many people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have, uh, you know, headed over to Bernie Power's website, uh, ordering the books and mm. everything they've got there, following up on that. And it started a really interesting discussion around the Christian perspective around Islam and the Muslim people. Yeah. Well, yep. you've had a you've had a bright idea for for this episode, <laughs> and we, and all of a sudden, Thrive Perspectives is becoming the uh, the interview podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, we won't do that all the time, but it's great <laughs> when we can. Uh, I actually, towards the end of the last episode, I thought, ah, oh, actually, I know a couple that lived in a Muslim country, and uh, I've spoken to them a lot about that. And there's some really interesting perspectives, I think, Ooh. to be uh, to be gained. Just to I see what bit, of, did there. bit of branding, <laughs> yeah, bit of branding, bit of branding. So we. We have with us uh, today um, Neville and Elizabeth Clark. Welcome, guys. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, it, 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 we, we have to say in our little setup here, we are, you two are sharing, as a couple, I love this, you two are, are sharing a microphone. <laughs> so you're huddled together over a microphone there together. So if you hear anything, uh, right. if you hear anything a little bit different, it's support, because... Support, support, thrive perspective so that we can buy another <laughs> microphone. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. Thank you so much for coming in on, on in the podcast. And I'm really, I'm really stoked here. Neville, I'm not picking on you, but I know that Elizabeth is a listener to the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so you now you've come full circle, and you're actually on the podcast as well. Mm, that's good. Now set 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 up the uh, yeah. So up- I think it'd be good to start um, maybe just to talk about where where you guys went and and how you guys got to be there. I think that's the that's the first part of that story. Well, I mean, of course, it was a fairly long journey. We knew mm. uh, that we were called to long term mission, I guess, yep. and. Um, then we just had to search out a country and through a number of different separate instances, we just felt that God was calling us to uh, the Kurdish people in mm-hmm. northern Iraq. Wow. And so from there, we just, the opportunities opened up and I think it was in the year 2000, that's when uh, Elizabeth and I and our two children, mm. three and one and a half, uh, left Australia wow. to go there. In the, wow. in the year 2000? Yeah. Over, over to Iraq then? Fantastic. And so you were there for you were there for how long then? We came home in September, October, two thousand fourteen. So right. fourteen years. Yeah. Wow. We. Yeah. So your kids pretty much grew up in northern Iraq. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've got four children. So yeah. our last child was born in yeah. northern Iraq. Right. Yeah. Wow. And um, when you went over there. Um, uh, and and you were um, Elizabeth. Obviously, obviously, you were you had the kids. Um, Neville, you were working uh, over there. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about being Christians in that context. Now, last week we talked um, more generally about Islam and and the the religion as such. Uh, but you guys have lived uh, in that context. And just want to talk a little bit about, I guess, your experiences of being 
a Christian in that uh, in that context. Um, was first of all, uh, was there were, were you were you fairly open about your faith when you were there? I definitely. Um, from a Muslim perspective, uh, mm. God is just a part of everyday life. Religion yeah. is not taboo. It is not a taboo subject. In okay. fact, it would be seen as very strange if you were a Christian and you never talked about God. That would be a very, very strange phenomenon. Right, okay. Yeah, so oh, that's uh, God is part yeah. of everyday life. So when I say uh, my greetings and all the, they're all blessings, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, so and goodbye means may God protect you. Right. So God okay. is in everything. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, th- you didn't sense any hostility being particularly Christian, any hostility about that? Um, not at all, actually. Yeah. Uh, I think the Kurdish people um, were very open, probably to the West at that time. Mm. Yeah. Um, they saw the West as allies, probably against Saddam and mm. surrounding big Yeah countries um and they also had seen a lot of ngos were in there helping them at that time uh, many of whom were christian so and they sort of equate or they think all westerners well at that stage they thought all westerners were christians anyway Mm, Mm, mm. so um they were very very thankful for people for us coming in to help them in those days over the years things changed but they've never been anti-West, like some of the rest of yeah, the Middle okay. East. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you mentioned that things change, how, so in the space of 14 years, what was your, again, coming back to the word perspective, on how things changed? Were they, did, you know, did they treat you different or was it just a general cultural shift in 14 years? I think there was a cultural shift and it had to do with historical events. So in 2003, Saddam was deposed. The area that we lived in was... Uh, separated from Saddam anyway, Mm. but he was always a power that everyone was afraid of. Mm -hmm. So after 2003, uh, there wasn't much money for NGOs anymore, so they all left. Uh, We formed another NGO when we were mainly teaching people uh, skills, so inputting into skills, uh, nursing skills, um, English skills, Uh, teaching skills, things like that. Um, And so I think for us, uh, people knew us. So we had many connections. People knew us. Um, So I never, ever felt uh, in danger in in the sense of people not liking you. I mean, I felt people were trying to convert convert me to Islam very often, <laughs> yeah. but that led to great conversations. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So. Yeah. So, so, so to get back to the perspective of living, you know, as Christians in a in a Muslim, you know, predominantly Muslim country, and I'm guessing the numbers would be like 99% Muslim people living there. I'd love to hear, you know. Their, their perspective on evangelism. You're saying that when they talked to you, they wanted to convert you. Did you both experience that? How did that feel over there? Yeah, maybe we should just tell a story. I mean, yeah. stories are Great. the best. Yeah. So um, when they get older, particularly, uh, so I'm a woman, so women would talk to me. But I remember walking down the street one day with an elderly lady following me (laughs) and yelling at me, you are in danger of the fire of hell, you need to say the Shahada or you are going to hell, right? So that was her way of converting me. Mm. 
Um, I understood everything she was saying and I turned around and chatted to her and she, um, she was in the middle of inviting me for a meal but she was really, um, yeah, she was hitting me over the head with the, the message <laughs> and uh, another guy came up in his car and he wound down the window and he said to her, leave that woman alone. I don't know, I didn't know this guy. Wow. And he looked out, he said to her, leave that woman alone. She's a Christian. She has better things. They're better than we are. We lie all the time. They don't lie. He said, they're so much better than us. Don't, don't try and convert her. And then he just wound down the window Goodness. and he left. I mean, I was <laughs> able to tell him, well, you know, you can follow Jesus too if you want. Yeah. But, you know, he just left. And then I walked further down the road. She's still yelling at me. <laughs> and I met another friend. And the friend, uh, she said to the friend, my, this male friend that worked with us in our NGO and very and close friends. Person. Kurdish friend, yeah. And, um, of course, a Muslim because they all are. And um, she said, can you just tell this woman what I'm telling her? I don't think she's understanding my language. So, and the interesting thing was he said to her, no, I'm not going to tell her because I know this woman, I know her family, and I know that what they have is a lot better than what we have and I oh, don't goodness, want them to wow. change. Did, Neville, did you, have, did you have any similar experiences over there as well? Well, I mean, I, I guess the general thinking that people don't change their faith, okay? If you're yeah. a Christian, you stay a Christian. If you're a Muslim, you stay a Muslim. Okay, right? yeah. And there's no way out of that. So, but, you know, it's funny, I was in the office one day and I was sharing about the Lord and just a little bit about Christian history to one other. And there was another uh, Western guy. I mean, he was from uh, not an evangelical faith, but Christian. Mm. And um, he, he was the one that really oppressed me. Like, oh, wow. he was the one that said, you shouldn't be sharing your faith, you know. Mm. Um, but the, the Muslim guy was quite open. He wanted to hear. Mm. So there wasn't, I mean, the way you shared your faith was important. Mm. Um, but generally people were open. Like, we used to hand out uh, calendars and they mm. used to have just a scripture on it. I never had one person not want the calendar mm. and we would do it every year so people would be waiting for us mm. and actually the government which is a muslim government mm. they gave us open opportunity they said to us the head the head people in the government and in the security said if you have any trouble distributing these in government buildings just let me know mm. and i'll make sure you can distribute it mm. so there was a a bit of like honoring or respect of christians Mm. So, I mean, in the early years, I would go into a restaurant and the people would say, no, you don't have to pay for that. That's on the house because we're so grateful that you're here. So, wow. I mean, yeah, wow. there was, I never really experienced any aggression or anything. Now, that may be different in other Middle Eastern countries. Mm. I think I know that it is different. Mm. Yeah. But in, certainly, and they felt that... The, in some way, they wanted to protect us. They wanted to mm. keep us safe. Yeah. So there's a lot more respect, harmonious relationships that we had and an openness to be Christian. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I, that, that fact that in that culture, this is what's countercultural about that for us here in our context, 
is that openness about talking about spiritual things. Uh, in our culture, it's just, it's like you don't go there. And, and it's even for a lot of Christians here, it's such a big step to even lead a conversation into spiritual like that in itself is like seems like oh yay i even mentioned that i went to church or something like that is like this you know like uh whereas uh yeah there the, obviously it's that completely different context where it's just part of life much more it was interesting watching new workers come in westerners yeah out of that context um yeah. Because they still had that oppression. They still had that sense of, I can't share my faith. And we would have to say, you need to. Because otherwise they're going to think, what's the problem with this person? Is there something wrong with them? Like, I mean, for them, um, atheism is a non-thing. Like, why would you you not believe in God? Like, that's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've yeah, had Iraqi yeah. friends here as well, and Iraqi Arab friends, and they say the same thing. What, what's this thing about not believing in God? That's just strange. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And that's and I think you know it's it's pointed out, and I mean I've sort of followed a bit of a research bandwagon around, I guess the kind of um, the underlying way of thinking in our secular society and how it's actually mm-hmm. highly, highly unusual. Like even in the world today, uh, this this idea of shutting out the whole spiritual dimension is, uh, you know, it's only a very recent thing in, and only in our in our culture. And and it's not even, you know, it's not even. It's often pointed out that a lot gets lost in that. It's not, not even from secular thinkers. You know, there's a great sense of uh, of loss in that. But I even I even wonder whether. In, even in our culture, when as Christians, you know, we can be so conscious of that, and not say anything, and and I feel like that can come across. I mean, at least what what the, mes- the message that I've got actually sometimes from non Christians is like it's some secret thing. Oh, you, it's like you're in, involved in some secret society, or it's almost it seems like some cultish thing because you never talk about it, mm. you never say anything. Ah. Oh. I didn't. Oh, you're a Christian. I've known you all this time, and you go to church, and you haven't. You know, it, it's that. That I think is. A, a, I mean, it's a different context, but but I think this sort of trepidation that we have about talking about our faith. To, I know it's a bit more counter. It's a, it's a bit countercultural, but not doing it as well, I think, is you know, is probably equally problematic. It leads into a, a thinking of. Um, analyzing the worldview of the people you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and understand. Yeah, that. we'll get that. that. That's something I'd be great to talk about a little later. I guess as your perspectives coming back. Just, uh, I'm interested to just get a little bit of a picture from you. You know, the idea of living in a society where everyone shares a fairly common religious outlook. What does that look like in a society? Like, what you know, give us a bit of sort of. Uh, a portrait of what a, a, a sort of Muslim society looks like, mm. and, and I know there are many different types, uh, but for, for because because I think it's difficult probably for in in our very secular culture it's difficult to imagine. So give us a bit of a snapshot. I think you have to also keep in mind that the city that we lived in was very monocultural. 
Yeah. So very, very Kurdish. Um, yeah, okay, and yeah. so because within, you know, and Bernie would have talked about this, yeah, yeah. within Islam there, there's not unity um, yeah. and tribalism, the, the tribalism or the different people groups, there's not unity um, there. So it was very monocultural. Okay, so, so how? Sorry. So how? How would Kurdish Islam differ, perhaps, from other forms? Perhaps we can start there. Well, um, Kurdish Islam is main, mainly Sufism. Oh, right. Okay. So the Sufis are more looking for a relationship with God. Okay. Um, they're more spiritual. Um, yeah. A lot of Kurds are dervishes. Okay. A lot don't agree with that either, but um, there is a whole group, very large group, that are dervishes. Okay, so, and to explain that. Yeah, define that. So they... The only uh, thing I know is the is the, is it the whirling dervish? Yeah, it's like yeah. that, but they're not the whirling ones. But yeah. <laughs> um, they, they wear long hair, but you don't see it because they put it under their mm. turbans. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of rhythmic rocking and playing their drums to get yeah, right. themselves okay. into a trance. And then when they get into the trance, they can eat light bulbs, the long fluorescent bulbs and things like that. So it's a... Uh, or put swords down their throats um, without they, cutting themselves, things like that. They can, but they actually do, do they? They do. And for what purpose? Just uh, to just demonstrate because, the... Well, I suppose it's part of the spiritual... I mean, right. they become inhabited by spirits, basically. Right. And, and that and, and is that there? To... Is that there? Man, we're on a whole, <laughs> a rabbit hole here. Is, is that's what they're wanting? Is it? The, the dervishes. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we had a friend who was quite heavily involved, and he just thought it was like, a bit like a party fun thing. Okay. Is, tell yep. me t- now. Feel free. Any, we can cut this out if this is too too inflammatory. <laughs> but just like in the, in in the, and I'll use use the word religion on purpose, just like in the Christian religion, we're aware that some people are very by the book, some people are very conservative, some people get into the emotion, and then way up at the end of the scale there's snake handlers and people looking for signs and wonders. Is it right for me to look at look at the Muslim faith and say that the dervish with eating light bulbs and swallowing swords and doing these crazy things as might be like snake handlers sort of up that end of the uh, end of the perspective like does is does that make sense maybe but i think it's more uh folk islam as well okay um i mean they're all all of them were into um going to the the mullahs would help out with um, sickness or whatever. And if you were sick, maybe you'd have to... He'd write out some of the Quran on a, on a piece of paper. Then you then you um, fold that up and you put it in a necklace around your neck or or you screw you you tear it up and you drink it in the water or okay yeah so more magic. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. Which... So, yeah, so that's almost like a syncretism. It's, it sounds like then it will it it'd be a syncretism between Islam and possibly yeah, like the pre-Islamic folk religions, possibly. Yeah, and I think because Islam itself does not address spiritual problems or even physic physical problems, it's it's more just a bunch of rules. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's a whole spiritual dynamic that people need help. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so a lot of us, a lot of us here in the West, you know, whether that's Australia, the US, or anything like that, you know, we really think that heading over to the Middle East or you know, in in um, Iraq where you were, is like going to you know the Dark Ages or going into like the, you know, the most primitive cultures type of thing. What was your actual day to day experience over there with a young family, your growing young family, and you guys are living and working and you know having a real life over there? What was what was actually the feeling of that day-to-day well i think initially it is a shock i mean it is all overwhelming i mean i think we don't understand here that people can think differently we think we Mm. think all the same but when you get into a whole culture that thinks very different Mm. you know and um yeah so that that took a a lot to get used to I mean, just different ways, different practices, what we would do one way and everybody would understand it here. Mm. If we did it over there, no one would understand it. Give me an example. I don't know. Well, I suppose there's superficial examples like doing the dishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That the ladies, if we had guests, I mean, I would never fill the sink with water and put soap in it and wash all the dishes in this dirty water. I mean, that's disgusting. <laughs> so, you know, actually, we, they say that after you've lived in a culture for five years, you really take on a lot of their thinking. Yes. Yeah. And we did. We so did. how do they, okay, we've got to ask, how do they do the dishes? Probably like most of the world I've worked out. Yeah. So you get the soap and you soap up all the dishes and then yeah. you um, rinse them under running water. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Not, not our primitive way in a, in a dirty <laughs> And, and men don't do the dishes. Well, I like that. I like yeah. the sound of that. But, I like but, but men do do the dishes. They just don't admit it. They'll, oh, okay. they'll actually pull the blind down so nobody right. can see them okay. doing it. But that's so. Is it quite? Um, is it quite a patriarchal society then? I mean, it's an interesting one because, of course, it is. It's a men's world outside of the house. Yeah. In the marketplace, it's a men's world. There are men-only areas that we, yeah. women were not allowed in. Yeah. And, you know, and it wasn't, like, bad. It was yeah. just the area where you buy the stereo systems or yeah. something. The women are not allowed there. Yeah. Um, men's tea houses. Women cannot go and sit in the tea house. And yeah. Just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, men's clubs or places where they play pool and backgammon. And yeah. Yeah, so it's a men's world like that. But in the home, the woman has power. Okay. And believe me, she takes every bitch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and in, in the homes, uh, are, are homes fairly open or, or are they like quite private? What, what, how, what's the dynamic there? Um, private but not, not private. Like the extended family is where you socialise and everything. It's, it's all about family. And when I say extended family, I'm talking... Are roughly 300 people or more. I mean, right. these, are, these are whole villages that used to live together in the village. Yeah, okay. But, like, just going into a normal, typical Kurdish home, as a visitor, you'd go into this room, and this would be the visitor's room. Yeah. Right? So you would sit there, they would entertain you there, they would provide for you there. But as you get to know people, and as we did and we became friends, they would welcome you into the other section of the house mm. where it was the family room. Mm. Mm. So, And then they were more open 
allowing you openly see how their household ran and mm. to be real people. So there was this formality, but also there was this segregation, probably of trust. You know, yes, yeah. they'll really excellent in hospitality, and they'd welcome you this far, but not any further until they got to know you, could trust you a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, again, I, I love I love getting these insights. This is fascinating. For a lot of people, you know, again, they're thinking that you're going into some sort of backwaters or something like that, but you don't stay 14 years at a place and raise your kids and, unless you love it and, and, you know, really enjoy it there. So what are the good things that we dopey Westerners don't understand about the great things about living in a society like that? Um, just to, just to uh, respond a little bit to that, Yes, we did love it. Yeah. The first five years we did not love. Okay. It was very, very yeah. difficult. And I would say that you go into a place because God has called you there, not because it's what makes you happy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, if we're led by our happiness, we will never do what God wants yeah, us to yeah, do. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Good point. So just to address that. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We didn't go there because we loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, sticking I'm, it out for five years too, it's really you'd want to really feel like you were in the Well, you become, the right it place. becomes home. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes home. You have friends, you have people you love. And, and God showed us you know, even towards the beginning, that he is about people. He is about relationships. So even living in this country that has a lot of uh, problems like post-war, desert, um, many of the things we missed. I'm a beach girl. Oh, my gosh, I miss the beach. But I think, um, yeah, we developed relationships and God showed us it's about relationships. It's about people. Yeah, so that's yeah. what kept us there. I think, mm. well, God kept us there, but yeah. we were very blessed in relationships and we were blessed to see what God was doing. Yeah. It was like we had a front row seat. Yeah, yeah. Which was a blessing. Yeah. Mm. How, how is it, um, again, just talking about the really fully Muslim uh, context, does that have, have an effect on you know, the law, how does that affect the laws and the, you know, things like crime and uh, the, just the general culture, the way that people relate to each other? How, how does that, what, what, was the, what was that like? Well, I, I guess um, in the West, we air our dirty washing everywhere. Like, right. I mean, it's in the newspaper, it's printed everywhere, whatever. I guess in, in the experience that we had, None of that is aired. Your sins are not aired. It's all because it's a shame culture. Mm. It's wrong to shame people, so mm. therefore you don't air it anywhere. And it just, it's just under the carpet. Even if people know about it, yeah, right, they'll sweep it under the carpet. So, and, you know, is that good or bad? I, you know, like um, sometimes it's pretty horrific of what you see in Australia that yeah. we just yeah. all hang it out. And that's yeah. can be incredibly offensive and I guess that's just one aspect of when we came back here that's uh, probably the thing we struggled with as well. So in a a sense uh, then I mean you refer to it as a shame culture but in in that sense it's probably in there's such a sensitivity to shame that it's kind of an anti-shame culture whereas probably uh, our kind of western culture is more the shaming culture perhaps would you say? 
Yeah, I'd have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you say when you say it's it's like, you know, because they operate on on a sense of shame about certain things. Are you saying that it affected the way that things were reported in the newspaper? Like, for example, if if the newspaper over here wants to talk about a politician and some sort of moral shame or moral, you know, uh, failure or a sporting figure or anything like that, it's all over the papers, all over the radio straight away. Is that the type of thing you're talking about over there? Well, yes, partly. I mean, and partly because also all of the media is controlled by the political parties. Mm. So um, there is that sense of control that we don't understand here either. Um, Everything is controlled. Everything is managed. Yeah, and, and there is security everywhere, whether it's in uniform or not in uniform. It's a very uh, Control. controlled. But, I mean, you can, say, you can say, oh, that's really, really bad, but then we, we felt that it was a very safe place to be because okay. of the yeah. security. Like, we would have... I mean, there'd be armed guards with their Kalashnikovs, you know, on basically nearly every corner, wow. yeah, major right. okay. intersection. And our children, when they came back to Australia, they thought that they were afraid to, in a sense, go out because there wasn't any presence of security. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you went out where you know there was security, if something went wrong, you had someone to go to, people would help you. It's a different mm. thing too. Like it's not in the public, it's everybody's business. So if you were in trouble or something was happening, people would step in. Mm-hmm. and help you. Mm-hmm. You know, we experienced... I mean, one case of road rage, this guy was getting very angry in his car and actually was ramming his car into the back of another person's car. Mm. But these half a dozen young men in their early young adults in their 20s just quietly came over to that person, pushed him, you know, told him to settle down and was really... And they didn't know him at all. But yeah. they intervened on that on that person's behalf. <laughs> mm. So, and we don't have that here. People are too afraid yeah. here. But over there, it's in its in its up as public. It's everybody's business, okay. and that's a safety yeah, sense. Okay. It's not. Mm. So, so does the does the religion inform the laws in that context? Because I know in some countries, you know, I mean, obviously in some cases you've got countries with Sharia law, but there was nothing like that there. Um, the laws are based on Sharia law. Yeah. But um, because the Kurdish government wanted to be a secular government more than an yeah, Islamic okay, government, yeah. so they were even having debates around... Would a man be allowed to have one more than one wife? They wanted to make laws that you would only have one wife, yeah, which right, is yeah. not Sharia law. That's the opposite. There was also big debates about the apostasy law. Um, yeah. Was it okay for a Muslim to decide to become a Christian or something else? You know, yeah. was that okay? I mean, there were it wasn't, and there were many court cases over this. But many people there believed that law shouldn't be there. People should have the freedom of choice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. So how, how do they... What is the perception then of Australia, America, like of, you know, the sort of Europe, Australia, what we would call the West? What, what, how mm. do people perceive that there? Uh, not well in okay. terms of morally. Yeah. So okay. they would say, you know, all Westerners are very immoral. Mm. Yeah. I had... I mean, as a woman in that society, I, I dressed very conservatively. I didn't look at men. 
Um, I did have someone say to me, a taxi driver, say to me, because um, I could speak Kurdish so they could talk to me, but um, say, oh, I've heard that Western women like to have more than one man. Yeah. And, you know, he was being very rude. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, no, um, God hates that sort of behaviour. Mm. At which point yeah. he said to me, oh, no, well, Kurdish men are never like that. Mm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've, I've heard that before and, and um, I guess uh, our society is very sort of libertarian what you in, 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 a, in a moral sense. You know, it's what, what each person makes their own moral choices and, and, um, and yet there there's, I guess, a much a much tighter sort of moral culture, you would say. Mm. Just to tell you a story, mm. and I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I understand that if you are Australian and you have not had much influence from other cultures, you might not understand this story very well. But I, mm. I just put it out there as a, as a challenge. I was talking to a very close friend of mine and we were talking about honour killing. And honour killing is something that happens very often amongst the Kurdish people. It's 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 closed, like it's kept quiet, but it happens. Yeah. And it means that if a daughter uh, misbehaves herself with a male, or even is seen with a male um, of not the family, seen out, say in a restaurant, or even yeah. seen to be misbehaving. Um, that it is the responsibility of the father or the male members of the family to kill her. Now, and that this happened. This, this is, happens. This is seen as uh, the responsibility. Like it's a communal. You've got to think communal. Go back to Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. So, the sense. So I said to her, you know, surely, you know, that's not really the right thing to do. What? Why would God? You know, isn't justice up to God? And can't? Wouldn't God? you know, it's better to let her live and, like, love her and, and bring her in. She said to me, well, what does your society do about those sort of issues when someone commits adultery or whatever? How does your society control that? And you said? Nothing. What, mm. what am I to say? Yeah. 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 But you can see the, but, the yeah, way of thinking. Because yeah. <clears throat> obviously from, from a Western perspective... Um, you know, secular society. People would say, but that's just as that's long as inhibits uh, freedom. That's as long as it's not hurting anybody, man, as if yeah. in the privacy of their own home. But I love the point that you're pointing back to the Old Testament laws of saying that we don't get the village mindset. You mentioned village, mm. you mentioned community, you mentioned the family being everything. We don't have that Yeah. We don't have that outlook at all. Yeah. But in in a sense I guess what I'm pointing to because there is the, the, the problem with um, you almost get we, we probably had something similar in our history you know famously in the Victorian era you know for example now obviously uh, when these things didn't people weren't killed but it was like social suicide if you you know famous you know, and there's lots of um, you know books and novels that you know and, and th there was um, one classic portrait of that sort of late Victorian era by Stefan Zweiger Austrian writer that I read where, where he talks about the repression and this is of course what Freud dealt with the repression of like human nature is still there but it's repressed you know and and uh under this under this kind of religious um this thick religious crust you know, or in, in in many cases you know fairly thin religious crust so i 
I, I would question in, you know, how, you know, having those kind of strong social restrictions, um, you know, does that solve any problems really? Or, or does it just repress the problems? Is it better to just get it, you know? Uh, so so in, in a sense, I there's something about uh, a fairly... Uh, a fairly libertarian society that's like well you know it's we might as well be out if that's the way that we are i mean not that you give necessarily it's about giving full expression but uh yeah does it solve the problem i guess i'm saying to have those yeah i, I mean i guess we're not saying things happening we're not creating a value judgment whether it's good or bad you know yeah. in some sense it's that's the way it it's just the way it is, is. yeah yeah I mean, I had a really good, close Kurdish friend. His children were the same age as our children. We did a lot of things together in our homes and have meals together. So we had a really strong friendship. And his daughter was the same age as our eldest daughter. And I posed this question, if she failed morally, what would you do? And he said to me, I would have to kill her. You know, which was just totally shock, you know, Mm. and brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that's but, yeah, yeah. But the reason why, and again, I, I feel like I'm sticking up for them in a sense. But is but but it's about the safety of the community, isn't it? Isn't that their motivation? Saying no, if we yeah. if we let this go here, it's going to be the sin's going to spread, the disease is going to spread. And in some sense, they the, well, again, which perspective do you take? They really mm. protected and looked after their women. Mm. Like none of their daughters or wives would go anywhere by themselves. Yeah. You know, even our, our our daughters would even just go down to the local shop without their brothers going with them. Mm. You know, in the workplace I was at, one guy desperately wanted his sister to come and work in that place yeah. so that, she, you know, he could keep an eye on her so yeah. that she could be safe. I mean, you can view it like that or you can... Yeah, and and I think, I think what I'm pointing to there is that, you know, in order to do good genuinely, you need to be able to have a choice, and and I think this is what um, this is probably the problem that is often raised. For example, in our Western context, you know, with that sort of Victorian era morality, is that people uh, did that because otherwise you were a social outcast. I mean, in that context, otherwise you get killed. You know, mm. uh, whereas uh, so it doesn't make. It doesn't make that as much of a choice, uh, and and I think that's, you know, that's where I I would be an avid defender of of you know a situation that has a, a bit more liberty to. And actually, you know, like I, I do think, um, I do think that that the idea of tolerance, that there's an element uh, and a sense in which that is. A Christian idea, uh, uh, because it, because we, we we don't believe that we can force people to live the way that God wants them. It has to be a choice. So there's an element of, to- and I know there's there's a you know tolerance can go in different directions. Uh, we're probably getting off track here, <laughs> but th- but th- you know th- there's there's an element in which you know Christianity is uh, you know I would argue a, a very t- tolerant religion because we understand that living the way that God wants us to live has to be our choice it has to be the choice to do good it's not about uh you know shame or or, or it shouldn't be done out of fear of what's going to happen to or you know it's uh anyway that's um that's probably a kind of christian perspective that i'd suggest well just can i say something quickly yep. about worldview 
um, I suppose we tell these stories, and, and this is part of our journey, yeah. is learning to look through someone else's eyes, and even if it is shocking to you, to ask yourself, why is it shocking? What, yeah, that's good. What yeah, is, yeah. And then come back to, okay, the Australian worldview has good things and bad things. Yeah. The Kurdish worldview has good things and bad things. Yeah, that's good. But yeah. all over that, we want the biblical worldview at, yeah. the, at the bottom. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, that's... to us, to me, it was such a privilege. I was so thankful for my Muslim friends who were so honest with me at times. And I learned so much mm. from their honesty, from their friendship yeah. that challenged my faith because I had to go back and say, huh, what? Yeah. I have never thought of that yeah and then go back to the bible and back to saying well you know there's these two views that i now see but yeah. what's the biblical view what what would jesus yeah and, and, and part of that is that communal view. And I think that's where we, we live in a very mm. individualistic society. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I've said, there are, there are advantages to that. But like you mentioned before, the biblical, actually the biblical worldview is far more communal. Mm. So it, there, there's, a, there's it, you know, it does overlap uh, a bit with that more communal way of thinking. And on that note... We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back here on Thrive Perspectives. We real, I really want to get into, you know, some of the whys behind it and the effects, of, you know, on the kids and then your cross-cultural experience of coming back to Australia. So we'll talk about all that in just a moment here on Thrive Perspectives. family it's your old mate dj here interrupting this great conversation with neville and elizabeth clark to bring you some special news are you ready for the special news i've got a special news item and on the back of that a very special offer for you now did you know that our very own matthew jacoby dr matt jacoby the man behind sons of cora and this podcast has written a book well, he wrote it a little while ago. It's called Deeper Places. It's a, it's a spiritual journey through the Psalms. You know, how we can get to know God better in a more real way through the amazing book of Psalms. Now, he totally revised the book and expanded and added a complete new chapter about anger a couple of years ago. Now, the book usually sells for $20 from the website. I've got a very, very special offer just for you but before i tell you what that offer is let me read you more about the book here let me give you some <laughs> let me let me give you some more about the book here it says in deeper places pastor and musician matthew jacoby shares a rich portrait of authentic spirituality that will help you dive deep beneath the surface to experience the kind of profound joy 
that the psalmist sang about. For well over two decades, Matt has been studying the psalms and setting them to music as they were intended to be experienced. Now he gives you an in-depth look at the psalms as a pathway to an intimate and satisfying relationship with God. Listen, this is a great read. I've enjoyed this book immensely, and I know you will as well. Like I said, it's regularly $20. The book is $20 plus shipping from our website. Here's our special offer. If you head over to thrivetoday.tv, stop what you're doing, head over to thrivetoday.tv, and at the top of the page here, you'll see listeners special offer. That's unique for you. Listeners special offer. Click on that and it'll take you to the place where you can buy deeper places. Use the code THRIVE. Use the coupon code THRIVE in the in the checkout cart there and you'll get the book for $10. 50% off half price. $10 for your copy of Deeper Places. $10 for your copy, your very own paperback copy of deeper places when you use the coupon code thrive in the shopping cart i don't know how long the team are going to have this offer out there so i would grab a hold of it today it's a fantastic book and if you've been meaning to get it now's the time to do it head over to thrivetoday.tv hit listeners special offer at the top and then it'll take you through to deeper places don't forget the code thrive now this is available only to our australian listeners but, you know, if you're outside of Australia and you really want to get a good, you know, a good deal, let us know. Get in contact. Make a good case for us and uh, we'll see what we can do, okay? <laughs> I don't want anybody to miss out on this. It's a great book, Deeper Places. Now, talking about all things great, let's get back into the conversation with Neville and Elizabeth Clark here Thrive Perspectives. Perspectives. It's your host, DJ Payne, here. I'm here with Matthew Jacoby. And, Matt, we've got the wonderful Neville and Elizabeth Clark here who spent 14 years living in, in northern uh, Iraq uh, in with the Kurdish people. And uh, you're just blowing our minds with some of the stories of raising a family over there, living and breathing as, as a Christian family in a predominantly Muslim culture. What's that like? So I guess, I guess you know, as we move into this second half of the podcast, you, you had two children when you went there and you had two more children by the time you left. Tell us about, you know, having a young family in, in, a, in a Muslim country. Well, for us as parents, it was probably a lot easier to bring up our children in that culture wow. um, than what we perceive because we haven't really done it back in, the, in Australia. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and our, just being in a very close-knit family, I um, mean, we had... Church had a very different perspective. Um, we had home groups and... Uh, there was total involvement of everybody. There was no one that was not included, and everybody mm. felt they could be included. Mm. You know, now, our children grow up, grew up with a real uh, sense of if there was any new kid on the block, 
they were the ones that would welcome them in, really make them feel at home, mm. accept them, uh, whatever. And I think that's, for them, that was one of the toughest things when they came back here. They found, I mean, really, honestly, I think we found church is one of the hardest places to come back to. Really? Mm. Talk, 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 I'm fascinated mm. yep, about this. Yep. I don't, and I, but I, don't, I, so, I sort of feel bad because I don't want to skip out of the Middle East too mm. quickly because I'm fascinated with that as well. So talk about, you know, that culture shock. You talked about a culture shock when you move there. What was the culture shock like when you moved back? Yeah, I think, I think it's worse in some ways because you're not... Ex- worse, worse coming home. Yeah, because you're not expecting... Um, to be so different. Yeah, and the worst thing is you look Australian, you're supposed to be Australian, you sound Australian, but deep in here you've become something else and mm. uh, yeah. even the thinking. And so for our children, I mean, our oldest daughter was three when she left and 18 when she came back. Wow. Mm. So all her experience, apart from one year in Germany, were was in the Middle East mm. and... So she didn't know anything else. And so you come back here, they, they have a huge body of knowledge, but they don't know half the things that people are talking about. Plus, we didn't have any other Australians, uh, not many anyway, Australians that we mixed with. So a lot of the Australianisms were unfamiliar with them, to mm. them. Um, yeah, so their whole body of frame of reference, they call them hidden immigrants. That's the word they use for children who grew up in another culture. Can you think of something practical that, and again, I don't want you to tell any tales that will, you know, that hurt or offend her, but was there anything in particular that you, you found just amazing that she came back to Australia as an 18-year-old and, and felt so different? Was there any cultural things that she saw around her that was like, I don't understand what's going on? Can you think of anything in, in particular? I think the most difficult thing was um, relationships with males. Right. Obviously, so you, yes. you grow up, um, you learn that you do not speak to males you don't know, you do not look at males you don't know. Wow. Um, and then to come back here and have to build relationships, yeah, just really, really difficult. You. you you're not used to that. Mm. I mean, and when she was even in, in school in Germany, um, she actually lost marks in an oral examination because she wouldn't look at the examiner. And she said to me, Mum, he was a male. What was I supposed to do? Wow. wow. So you've just got these things that are in you that you've learnt mm. Mm. and you don't even know they're there. Like, it's just become automatic. Yeah. And that, that's culture. Like, everyone yeah. here has things, but we had to yeah. relearn. We yeah. had to... So what helped us was coming back and saying, okay, let's think about it not as returning to our own country because they certainly didn't feel that way. No. Yeah. And we were shocked about the changes in 15 years in the culture here. So what we decided was let's, you know, we're just, we're just cross-cultural workers coming back as if we're going to some other place yeah. <laughs> and, and learn the culture, you know, learn what is Australian culture, how do Australians think, what do... Just the same way as we would. Yeah. So what, what were those changes that you observed from when the, you left to when you came yeah, back? Yeah, the biggest one was lack of trust. We were, we were shocked at how unfriendly people were. Right. I mean, 15 years before when we left Australia, you, you could walk down the street and say hi and neighbours were more friendly and yeah. uh, people were suspicious of each other. Right. Mm. What, mm. Were, what were 
for you guys, what were some of the hardest things coming back? And then, and then I'll ask the same actually with your kids as well. Like, I mean, obviously they they didn't really know much else, but yeah, for, for you guys first, what were some of the harder? I, I think for me it was communication. I mean, right. I had developed. I spoke Kurdish fluently. I I worked with Kurds. I mean, most most of my friends they didn't speak English, and so, mm. and I had a prayer partner who who was um, come out of a Muslim background. Uh, Kurdish lady and we were incredibly close and we worked together in many many things and she taught me you know many things about how to communicate there and so I developed really good I could communicate well mm. but that didn't translate to coming back here you offend people if you communicate in the same way <laughs> like what do you mean yeah give us an example like being so honest is or, or, or what do you mean yeah they're quite blunt yeah um, but the other thing, I think I offended people once I said, and I, I don't know if I should say this because you're all Australians that are listening and yeah. I don't want yeah, to re-offend. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. But, um, you know, I just said that, um, you know, many people that come from overseas into Australia, um, they're lying. You know, their stories are not 100% yeah, yeah. true, you know. Yeah. And that was offensive. But, you see, in Kurdish culture, that's not offensive. Okay. Like, because they all say, well, yeah, we lie. Like, that's okay, a normal yeah. part of life. It's not, it's not a high value. Okay, so is a part of part of that around that sort of po our concern with political correctness? Did you find yourself? Was it that that you were running up against? Uh, I think it's got to do with values. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thankfully, in our culture, honesty is a very high value, and yeah. that comes from our biblical yeah, yeah. underpinnings. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good thing. Yeah. But I came from a culture where. That was not a high value. Wow. Yeah. Hospitality wow. is a high value. Wow. Yeah. And it's not over here. No. Yeah, okay. I'm getting it. Okay. Yeah. This is good. What, what, about, what about you, Neville? Coming back, you know, coming back to Australia after 14 years away, you know, especially entering the church again, how was, how was that for you? Well, I guess um, over there you had a place. Like you build up your friendships, you knew everybody, um, and, you know, in the work environment, ministry environment, you had a place. I guess the first 12 months coming back was because I didn't have a place. Mm. So that's that, that's more to do, I guess, I mean, and, and I imagine that would happen if you moved anywhere. Yeah. What what was specifically coming back to the Australian context like? Was there, was there, were there things about that particularly that were a struggle? Well, I guess, I mean, I hinted at, at before that, that whole basis of immorality that's just in your face everywhere here yeah. Yeah. i mean we didn't have to put up with that that just wasn't right i oh, mean we right. would yeah. recommend wow. movies to people you know oh this is a great movie and then we'd watch it when we got back here or whatever and we think wow this was never in the movie that we watched because it was cut out ah uh, yeah, oh, no, yeah wow and different yeah. versions of films that's why Hey, that's why when you watch movies on Ed, like Eddie Had's uh, uh, airlines, like yeah. Eddie yeah. Had Muslim owned, exactly. uh, they are cut to smithereens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I like that. I, I quite, I quite <laughs> like that. It's like oh, I can, I'll just watch what. Because normally I'm, you know, I'm checking. I, you know, because there's just some things that I don't need to see. Yeah. And uh, and but Eddie Had, I'm like click and click. <laughs> it's like, well, you come back, you're feeling embarrassed. Like yeah. you say, this was a great movie to somebody, and <laughs> yeah, you know, they've seen it. 
And that's saying, yeah. how can you say it's a great <laughs> But people in our cult, I mean, that you know, that's controversial. It's like, oh, that's censorship and, you know, censorship, this is, you know, that that's a, a bad thing. But, um, you know, and yet at the same time, we've got all of these social problems caused by, you know, pornography and, yes. and the excess, you know, how accessible that is. What just to say, though, there are a lot of social problems caused by pornography there too, yeah, but it's yeah. just hidden. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so so your experience of being, um, you know, cross-cultural workers and, and living as Christians in a, in a predominantly Muslim country, you know, for, 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 you know, while you're raising your children and everything, um, in very broad strokes, you know, very gen- big generalisations, I'd love to hear your valuation. And how long have you, number one question, how long have you been back? Now this is our seventh year. Seven years mm. back home, back mm. back home in Australia. What is your valuation of the Western Church, very loosely, and not picking on any particular church that you want to? <laughs> big both question. Big question. I know, and both of you are like, you know, got the big saucer eyes here looking at me, and I don't want you to, you know, go to town and try to be offensive or anything like that. But I'd love you to have be have an honest take because sometimes we here living in the Western Church, we don't see the faults or the issues that we you know, that we're, we're, we're surrounded in, mm. but you coming from outside culture and still being Australian, you might have a way to be able to put a finger on it that could really help some people. Well, I guess, I mean, primarily, you know, the Kurdish culture is relationships and that's also expressed in every part of their life over there. And so our Christian experience in Iraq was uh, relationships. So, like, we didn't... The largeness of the church was probably... A struggle. All our kids mm. found it very, very difficult with the large church, large mm, youth yeah. group, whatever. And um, but but life group for us was the key mm. because it was smaller, it was more intimate, more personal. You could be open yeah. and more honest. And I guess that's probably the greatest thing that we missed. Yeah, you know, coming back here. Not that those things weren't uh, available, but I guess the. There was unique incense. I mean, you, of course, you have to build relationships, build trust, and that's also a struggle to come back and do that here again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So we were very privileged. Yeah, we were very privileged in many ways of having the opportunity to be there, experience the Islam culture, but also so experience the Christian culture and the friendships that we had there as well. Elizabeth, give us your give Yeah, us your take. I just just thinking about the believers that we had fellowship with and I'll, I'll call them followers of Jesus um, because of course they came from a different background is the mm. Muslim background. Just the the fellowship that we had was so enriching to us. I mean, mm. a lot of them came, I mean they they come from that community culture, that yeah. group culture. They come from yeah. a, a, a heightened sense of spiritual spirituality, yeah. a, a sense of spiritual things. Um, so and a lot of the meetings, I mean I was more involved in women's meetings, but they were more organic. So, yeah. you know, you'd come along and I I would often be the leader but I wasn't the leader I didn't want to be the leader so I, yeah. I you know I would say to ladies I knew were mature like do you have a bible verse this week what's God been saying and that would open it all up they'd share and then we'd have visitors so we'd have ladies coming across from Iran and they'd had some experience and then they'd share their 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 testimony and how they got yeah. to know Jesus and yeah it was just um what is that say? how much of that is is 
small and how much is cultural? Because I know that there's, I mean, you know, it sounds funny to say, but there's a real, uh, I mean, it, it's all, it's great for the church to grow, but there's also something about small, it's why I think small groups and other small contexts are very important within the church. So how much of that is about small and how much of that is about culture? What, what's the cultural element to that? Yeah, I mean, maybe a lot of it is about small yeah, is is it because you, you talked about the because I've you know I've I've had great small group experiences exactly like that you know but being part of a big church, um, it, but is there something about the the community orientation of the people? I mean I think we in our culture we famously live quite isolated lives. Families are very isolated from each other. Is that it, it, did you find a difference uh, over there? Well, I think um, I mean two things. With the Kurdish people that have come to faith, it's been a walk of great sacrifice. It's cost yeah. and so okay, forth. Yeah, okay, right. so this is a this is a good one. Yeah, there's a depth there. Yeah, but also for other internationals that we work with, there's always like a cost of going to another culture. Mm. You know, there's a sacrifice and so forth. So there, there's this. Um, you know, coming together, people have experienced and know what it is for that cost mm. because they're, you know, they're sold out for their faith. Their life is faith. Yeah, yeah just that shared experience of giving up something or sacrificing something because of a deeper walk with yeah. the Lord. I, I guess that's of, yeah, okay. of great value. And it means more when you share that together. Yeah. Probably in our Western world, um, you can live as a Christian, but no, the cost or the sacrifice sometimes is not, mm. it's not the same. What yeah. do you think, Elizabeth? Yeah, and I think because they were, like we talked before about the community aspect and the pressure. I mean, it, it, there's pressure to conform. Yeah. in everything in every day. Yeah. But these believers, these followers of Jesus, they have decided to go against the grain. Yeah. Like really against yeah. the grain. And and so the pressure on them yeah. uh, was very high. And yeah. so they yeah, they supported one another in that. I mean, they were suspicious of one another. There were issues, but yeah, certainly I think I learned a lot from them. Yeah. Just um, perseverance. Um, God is big. I mean, God is big. Yeah. When, you, when you need to be rescued because you've been locked in a basement and beaten up by your family and you have a dream and there's a big um, metal bar next to your bed and you dig your way out of the basement and get out and then you wake up and the metal bar is right there and so you do it. But yeah. then what do you do? You go round to the front door and you knock on the door and you tell your father you, you got out of the basement and you tell him what God did. I mean, yeah, right. just okay. things yeah. like that, like just things God came through for them because they were very alone in, yeah. in some ways. And, and so I suppose when they got together, it was very special. They didn't take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And um, the, the, open, the whole thing about openness, you know, the open faith communication, did you miss that? I mean, did, did it, does it feel... It, I imagine it must feel kind of spiritually a bit shallow coming back into a culture where we talk, you know, we just don't talk about that stuff as openly. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think what what I've been struggling with lately is, well, surely the same 
surely the same things that we applied over there could apply here. It's just that you're, you're talking to people with a different worldview, so you've got to understand, well, be a listener. Yeah. Um, make friends with people who are different to you and really yeah. make friends. Yeah, like, that's listen great. That's great, them. yeah. What, yep, what is listen, their worldview? Yep. Be interested in them. Yeah. And then also prayer. I mean, I think we had teams, and I teams of local believers, teams of yeah. international, and we were focused. We had a vision together, and we would pray together yeah. and talk together and study together. How can we... What are the questions that this society is asking? Yeah, yeah. What are, what are the needs that people see yeah, they have? Yeah, um, trying to study people and say, yeah. well, what what are the, the shop front? We call it a shop front for this culture. Like what yeah. are the things God is going to touch these people's hearts with? Yeah, yeah. And, and then for your kids, like for them coming back and being Christians in this culture, how is that? How have they felt about that? It's interesting, actually. Because I think that for most of them, uh, they've actually got along better with non-Christians than Christians. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, they do, they, you know, they have been developing, you know, friendships with people who walk with Jesus. Mm. But for them, um, I suppose that they're also used to having friendships with people who are very different from them. Mm. Um, they recognise their need for Christian friends, mm. um, but they also all have friends who don't know Jesus, mm. and um, I think that stimulates them. That yeah. that that energises them, particularly when those relationships can be honest. So, yeah. um, of course, it's not always like that. Yeah, but having uh, non-Christian friends who with whom you have a relationship where you are honest with each other yeah. and there's genuine respect is a really a blessing. Yeah. And they know that. Yeah. Okay, so people are listening and they're thinking about whether, you know, they might have Muslim neighbours, you know, friends at school, parents at school, or even they might be listening and they're thinking, listen, I don't have any Muslim people, but I might have people coming in, other immigrants from different countries, different religious backgrounds and stuff around me. With all of your experience, I'd love to hear from both of you what advice, what encouragement you would you give us over here. And you've already touched on it a few times with some different things that you've said and shared your experience. But let's wrap it up with what what encouragement you would you give believers over here in reaching out to the other where where we live. Mm. I think the first thing I'd say is get on your knees and ask God to show you that they are not the other. They are people first. Before they're anything else, they're humans Mm. made in the image of God with their own struggles, just like you. Mm. And I think the second thing is as you pray for them, ask for God's heart for them, but also be yourself. Mm. Be yourself. Be a learner. Be a learner. Be a listener. And, and love them, like ask the Lord, how can I love these people? And not being, pa- pa- what is it? Patronising. Patronising, yeah. not being patronising, but being a friend. How can I be a friend? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's that simple. I don't think you need to 
go and study Islam and the Quran. I don't think you need to. Now, those have their places. Mm. But I think to be a friend, um, love people, I think your integrity is really, really important, how you live your life before people. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah. People come to Australia uh, and they've probably got a perspective that it is a Christian country. You know, and so they're expecting people in some ways probably to be Christians. So don't be afraid to share your faith, um, you know, with an attitude of not like, I mean, this sounds strange, but with that attitude of sharing your faith, not to converting them, but sharing your faith, how it works for you, mm. you know, just the reality and, and be open to I mean, we had plenty of opportunities. Um, Muslims would be open to say, if I said, oh, can I pray for you about this, they would be open. Mm. So don't be hesitant, you know, if they're Muslim or whatever. I think they're more open to that sort of engagement than what we might think they are. Maybe the, the normal, typical Aussie may not be, and there's been some news lately about that. But um, but I think take the boldness of, of who you are, just being real, like the integrity and not be afraid to, to share, yeah, when you have the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Thrive Perspectives. We want to hear from you, so send us your big questions and ideas. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, download other shows, see all of our resources and much, much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visiting the website, ratethispodcast.com slash Thrive Perspectives really helps us reach more people. So head to ratethispodcast.com slash Thrive Perspectives. We hope that these shows will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>